fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about how hot lady leaders can't party when Russia is next door with my friend Vienna. Discriminatory. Against... Did they do this? Did they do this when that homophobic uh, or bad minister was caught at a gay orgy? I don't think so. They only do it when it's our cat girl prime minister. Um, well, I mean, what would be the, you can't legislate fascism when you're having sex with dudes. When you are sneaking out of a window and running naked down the street. That's actually how most policy is done. So. <laughs> All the True. good policies. You got me there. <laughs> How are you, Vienna? Um, unwell, as I have already briefly mentioned to you. Um, True? Yeah. Uh, I ate around three quarters of a loaf of bread yesterday when I um, have been avoiding wheat because it makes me feel awful. So that was not a good idea as can be assumed um how big and i'm suffering it was like like decent plate sized um like it was not a huge loaf but it was not a small one either did you go in raw or did you like add some like butter uh i made a like tomato garlic pepper and salmon thing and then like dunked the bread in like that resulting liquid um like the like liquidy aspect of that um (laughs) yeah sounds delicious Uh, words words may fail me today because um i have grain on the brain as they say well, thankfully, it's it's probably going to be a shorter uh, episode than it it was last time. So, uh, brain or no brain, I mean they don't have a brain either. So it's <laughs> it's, it's not like we're uh, you know fighting against the brilliance that is Rebel News. You know, wheat has a brain. Wheat wheat has a brain. Yes. Oh, all um. right. How are you, Jody? I'm uh, I'm I'm living. There's uh, you know, kids are gonna be starting school soon, which is uh, pretty wild. Both of them are gonna be out of the house, and it's gonna be weird. But other than that, I'm I'm good. Just getting ready for that. But uh... yay, school! <laughs> Woohoo! Yes, I mean it, it'll be you know. I've been stuck with kids nonstop pretty much since COVID started. So, uh, you know, having my days without children is going to be different. But uh, I, I am excited for them getting getting to socialize and whatnot. I mean, COVID is still here. We're not out of the pandemic now. You got monkeypox. It's a it's a whole ordeal. But we're all vaccinated, and uh, yeah, hopefully all that goes well. But. Uh, and and I do hope, uh, given what we're going to talk about at the beginning of this episode, that all they get is uh, pro-trans materials indoctrinated into their brains. So that's... <laughs> I, I endorse that. And uh, 
I think it would be good, you know? No other education needed. No, I mean, you know, math is now trans math. It's... <laughs> this is true. You know, home economics is now trans economics. It's... We, we got this. It's... <laughs> There's no such thing as the trans economy. <laughs> well, trans economics would be how to abolish capitalism. <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, but I guess we'll get into it. There, I guess we got a a week full of mostly nothing. So here we go. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we're covering the week of August 22nd to August 26th. And Ezra was gone pretty much the entire week. He will show up for a single episode. And for the remainder of the week, uh, at least the first half, Sheila Gunn-Reed is doing a couple episodes. And then the back half, David Menzies will be covering for him. And we'll get to why... Ezra was gone when uh, Ezra hosts the show on Wednesday. But one thing to note up front is that, at least like when I play you Sheila, like last week we had a lot of Ezra in our last episode talking uh, with James Lindsay being very transphobic. And we're going to now hear Sheila play a similar game. But I have to say, like, I mean, even when you compare Sheila to Ezra, you could tell, like, Ezra is much better at this game, even if he is still sort of, like, stupid. Like, he, he's just a better, I think, in some ways, an orator. You know, it's not the kind of oration that I like. But there's definitely, like, a way with words and a way of, like, talking about this subject in, like, a purposefully obfuscatory, like, way that he like has that ability that I don't think Sheila has. So, so right up front, I just wanted to acknowledge there's a you're going to notice a difference in kind. So on the 22nd, the first half of the show we don't have to address. Sheila is mad that Teresa Tam, the health minister, or not minister, a person in charge of of uh the the pandemic response in Canada, she was mad Sheila is mad that I guess they spent uh, a lot of money, like $120 million in the first like three months of the pandemic. And I guess she's mad about it because like the masks weren't stockpiled beforehand or something like, <laughs> and, you know, and usually things like that aren't stockpiled for various reasons, like underfunding, et cetera, um, lack of preparedness or like whatever but I guess she's like we shouldn't even have given them the 120 million to try to get masks for people if they didn't stockpile them in the first place or something like it's just such a weird and stupid argument that it's not even worth going over austerity reinforces itself I just like the other end of it is like they don't even like really believe that this like the pandemic is real. So it's like why do you why do you care about any of this? Other than this is like Sheila being like they're wasting our money. Yep. That's it. So then Sheila ends up interviewing one of their employees, someone named Celine G Gallus. 
she's relatively new and based out of like the Alberta region. And I guess Celine went undercover at a drag queen story time event at a municipal uh, library in Calgary. And the first thing that I want to say right off the like the bat is like they're talking about how like creepy, you know, the groomers and the how why would the parents take them to this like grooming facility, etc. Yet isn't it a little weird? Like you have parents bringing their children to a municipal library to like this drag queen story time event. Meanwhile, Celine Galas is sitting in the corner, like watching everything by herself. What is the creepy part of this environment? <laughs> they can't have drag queen story time because creeps like Celine might go. Yeah, it just uh, it's creepy, but uh. I guess the first thing that I want to stipulate is what do you think Sheila's biggest concern is regarding these type of events? So we've heard, you know, Ezra and all this. Is it going to be the same thing? Do you think she's going to have a different angle? I can't even think of like a good, uh, like other, other angle, like as a gag joke for like what they could believe. Like (laughs) I can't even think of like absurd thing that they might like come up with. Well, you know, it's going to be more predictable than you think, but it definitely is not going to be sexual. It's going to make the books dirty. (laughs) Well, let's find out. Let's see what she says. This past summer, the season that lasts three months long, really wasn't called summer anymore. It was called Pride Season. Instead of having a week or even a month devoted to pride-related activities, the whole summer was co-opted. And I think I'm one of those people who says live and let live, just leave me alone, don't use the government to make me care. But I start caring when public funds are used and little kids are involved. And as you know, there has been a, a real uptick in the idea of a drag queen story hour in municipal libraries all across North America. I've yet to see any credible evidence about having a drag queen read to little children and having that somehow relate to increased childhood literacy rates that would necessitate government spending on such a program. You know what? I'll give them that one. You know, the standardized testing has not shown that drag queen story time is increasing literacy rates in um, in this country, on this continent, even. <laughs> I can't believe it. What the fuck? Oh. <laughs> uh. I look like I I was surprised that this was her angle. Now she does, of course, like you know, feed into the whole grooming. It's creepy, like parts of it, but like that that was her like starting position was like we're wasting taxpayer money on something that doesn't effectively help literacy, and and then I'm like, you know, as someone myself who has kids, programs at the library are not like supposed to be like directly educational. They're supposed to be like a place where you could take your kids for like entertainment or like whatever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be educational. And also 
I don't know, I could think of another purpose, which is maybe they're supposed to be happening to teach people that it's okay to be whoever you are, which is an important lesson, is it not? Actually, no, Jody. Uh, that event in, where was it, like Kentucky or whatever, where there were the, like, armed... Oh, the the recent one, yeah. Yeah, where, you know, armed protectors uh, surrounded a library to make sure that, like, right-wing protesters couldn't get in and disrupt an event. That is what we need for every literacy-related event. Armed you know? LGBTQ activists wearing all yes. black? Yes. Right. Yeah. We need that everywhere. It's better than the alternative. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is like the funniest argument against it, though, because it's like that one at least could like, you know, trick some liberals into like not wanting to do it type of thing. <laughs> you know, like if you're pushing for an austerity thing that you want it to be like a bullshit reason that like at least isn't obviously bigoted. And, you know. If you want to, like, defund your local library or whatever, it's being like, oh, see, the stats don't prove that, like, you know, the liberals, they love the numbers. You, you give them, you start giving them, like, literacy rate percentages and, like, standardized testing scores and, like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they'll leak that shit right up. You jumped the gun already. You're, you went straight into the, like, you know, it's too late to kind of co-opt the liberals onto this one. You made it into a culture war thing instead. You could have done a good old-fashioned austerity economics thing. They would have loved that. But no. I think it's weird, too, because you probably could have made some argument that in it... Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be drag queens. It could just be anyone reading to kids would be good for literacy. So it's like, even the, the conceit, it's like, if money is being spent on people reading to children, wouldn't it just matter that you're like who's attracting children to come to the event like if it's someone boring and no kids are showing up then like so there might be evidence that drag queens are like more likely to get kids to want to come out and have fun at this like reading event uh, yeah. so in a weird way there's i don't know that anyone has done a study but i can imagine there being evidence that it is more effective for literacy <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is, like, making it a culture war thing has also weirdly probably helped it in terms of the literacy thing, because I bet that, like, more, you know, upper class people that might not be, or, like, you know, middle class people that might not be reliant on the library as a, like, essential service are like, oh, wow, we got to support this thing and sending their kids to these things. Like, yeah, it's the exact opposite of the truth. In terms of, like, the literacy rate thing, sure. But, like, we expect conservatives to lie. That's that's normal. But it's like... You know? Haha, idiots, you already... You already fell for it. You already... You already committed to a position, like... And, of course, like, it's weird because the contrast. Because Celine doesn't really know how to react to Sheila's whole, like, taxation argument. And so, of course, Celine spends all of her time in the culture war and those talking points. So she begins with, you know, listing the types of books that were read and how horrifying they are. 
There's not much in the way that I find that it's helpful in any way for children to be exposed to stuff like that. Um, the reading in general isn't like Dr. Seuss or, you know, there's definitely no green eggs and ham. It's, it's books where it's, it, it's straight up right in kids' faces. It, it's about um, transgenderism. It, it's about, you know, dressing up if you're a boy, making it okay. There was some titles like Sparkle Boy, my my mom, my dad, and my other dad, and and all these obscene, obscure titles that children don't have any business reading or or being privy to, in my opinion, at least. So the funny thing is, like that one is like my mom, my dad, and my other dad. Yeah, as somebody with a stepdad, like <laughs> true. Most people have one. Like a lot of people have one of those already, regardless of like you know sexual orientation like that's a it would be amazing if the book was actually about a stepfather and she just misconstrued (laughs) that would be even better but but i do love like again implicit like it's weird because it's like just come out and say you hate gay people and trans people like they won't say it but what they'll say is oh my god the how indecent of them to read stories that are like this and especially in front of kids oh my god and it's like who cares i read to my children go the fuck to sleep all right (laughs) it's also like you know gay people have kids that one's also there you know like who are the people who are going to be sending their children to like the drag queen story time probably queer parents i've i've read to my kids like we purposely have purchased books that promote uh lgbtq stuff and like or at Mm -hmm. least promotes the wrong word it's just like childhood books that like portray it as just a fact of the story you know in Mm -hmm. a way to like perpetuate that it's normal which is like perfectly fine in the same way that like we have tons of like children's books in our house that like have loving heterosexual relationships in them right but like it's like again to people who like read that stuff oh that's completely normal right like they don't find that indecent yet it's it really is the exact same thing we shouldn't be exposing our children to that (laughs) i mean yeah the horrors of heterosexuality i know it's (laughs) to think what they do with those parts it's just like oh my god so indecent i guess what i'm saying is like i don't know why they don't just say yes we hate gay people like i like it's it's like it's right there but like it's it's this weird game they play with their audience because obviously their audience is hearing that and going like yeah i i also hate gay people but they're like both of them are just not saying it because they like it's like they're they they know that there's more people out there that are okay with this that they're going to be in trouble if they're open about it, you know? I think there's, like, probably two aspects to that. Like, one, anti-discrimination laws exist. And so if they straight up say it, that's a lot easier to, like, ding them for it. Um, But then the other thing is, like, I think a lot of their audience probably doesn't think that they hate gay people. Like, I bet a lot of them, you know, have gay relatives that they probably don't even, like... You know, they're probably, like, casually homophobic or transphobic to them, but, like, 
you know, probably aren't, like, actively hateful towards them. And I bet, like, a lot of people would be, like, turned off by them saying that openly because despite where the culture seems to be going currently, you know, for a while there, there was this, like, acceptance that was a lot more, like, widespread and kind of constantly present, you know? Like, yeah, like, it's just kind of, like, I think that that would be too open and blatant. It's it's the same thing for why they can't, like, openly say, like, yeah, we hate all Muslims, or yeah, like, we're racist. Like, you know, yeah, that might be what most of their audience believes, and there might that might be what they believe. But like saying it is still enough of a turnoff that like they would lose, they would risk losing like audience members and possibly donor funding too. Yeah, it, it's just fascinating to me because I I think like you're right. There's something about like the psychology of some of the people in the audience where it's like if it was explicit, they would pick up that it's explicit. Where because it's like implicit, that part of their brain isn't registering that, oh, this whole talking point is homophobic. There's like this layer of plausible deniability. So it's like they can get away with like, yeah, something about this makes me feel icky without like really having to like uh, dive into their psyche to understand well, what is making you feel icky. Because in the end, it's going to be your homophobia or transphobia, etc. Yeah. Um, and it's also like they can't act as like, the midway point on a like radicalization pipeline if they're already at the end point you know (laughs) it's to me i think what's startling to me is just like it almost is explicit you know what i mean like like to just say like oh here is a book like even if the characterization is correct or not about two loving parents that just both happen to be men and then go from that to being like it's indecent to tell children about that it's just like it's so Ex- like explicit to me it seems so explicit but there's still like a weird layer of Im- implicitness that i think is like i guess allows them to have plausible deniability yeah i or mean at least it's pretend the, to yeah like like it's it's kind of the like stochastic terrorism thing too right like where it's like you know yeah they're they're saying like oh wow this horrible thing is happening and it has to be stopped. We're like, oh, there's no peaceful way to stop it. How do we stop it? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, then they, then somebody goes and, you know, shoots up whatever event or place or type of people or whatever, um, often Muslims. Um, and then they have like the plausible deniability of like, oh, whoa, that, that's too much. That's too far. Whereas like the next step when you are open about it is, then you have to actually address it, you know? Then you have yeah. to kind of be like, yeah, like that one pastor in the U.S. who was talking about lining up gay people and shooting them, and that's the only solution to it, right? Like, that is kind of the next step. And it, once you start opening up about being honestly hateful, then you have to confront the, like, oh, what do we do about it thing, and then you get into, like, mass murder. Yeah. And you're deplatformed, and they don't have their like money. Pipeline. Yeah, exactly. So you know they they have to walk that line, as disgusting as that line is. Yeah. So Sheila then wants to talk about uh, what this will do to little children's uh, minds. 
it does feel a lot like indoctrination and you know the I I as a mom I I've raised three fairly normal depends on the day it is though and what they're wearing kids um and I just feel like this is an early introduction into confusion that little kids don't need it's a topic their little brains cannot understand yet. They don't understand the concept of being alive. They don't understand the concept of death. They're just kind of, for some of these kids that are so little, they're just sort of becoming self-aware. And already we're starting to confuse them about things. And I, I just, I worry so much about what I think is a bit of a societal experiment on the youngest, most vulnerable amongst us. If, I like she used the example of death. Like they don't even understand death. It's like, okay, life's confusing. Life See, life is absurd. It's intense, you know? And it's like <laughs> I would also say that like that's a cultural thing. Like if you are in a like subsistence farming culture, as a small child, you will be exposed to the deaths of animals for sustenance. You'll understand that. You know? Like, or, you know, if you are a small child in a war zone, you will understand the concept of death. That's just a reality for you. I think it depends on what you mean by understand, too, right? Because, like, I think there is a difference between, like, uh, long-term knowing someone and then having them gone that you might not get to experience as a child because you're still fresh in a way, right? Like, there's certain qualitative differences, I think, between the kind of, like, grieving process i think of an adult and a child you know uh but that but like again i like i don't think that's confusion necessarily and yeah. even then it's like that doesn't mean you shouldn't expose your children to things that are confusing no I, that's that's kind of the thing right like you know yeah they might not understand it in the same way as us but they are capable of forming an understanding of these things you know, they are human beings after all. They have remarkable capacities to, like, intake information. And part of your role as the parent is to explain it to them. Like, <laughs> Yeah. like I've talked to my kids about what it means to be trans and what it means to be non-binary. It's, it's not that hard. And they get it. Yeah. And they use yeah. pronouns appropriately. Oh my! Like, wow. The confusion. Like, I mean, like implicit in what she's saying is it's like it's confusing with her worldview that she wants to teach her children to have like this other conflicting worldview coming into contact with it but then it's like that's a problem with your worldview and how bigoted it is it's not a problem with like children's brains are too feeble and they're stupid and they just don't get it and I guess like the thing is too like what's the problem if they don't get it confusion you know? yeah like <laughs> they're confused so what <laughs> you know <laughs> they're experimenting on our kids by making them confused you show a small child letters on a page they're gonna be confused they'll get it eventually <laughs> what, like what sheila is saying is no illusions or magic tricks for children it, it would just destroy them i mean we're experimenting with them that's showing that like you know we put the rabbit in the hat rabbit's not there anymore boom brains confused we're experimenting on them cancel magicians <laughs> no peekaboo with babies ever yeah <laughs>
You know, what does that say about God giving us object permanence in the first place? <laughs> way to go. Way it's to nice confuse little, us by design. Nice little trick that God played on us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a, such a bad argument. Sheila, Sheila takes a stab at one more argument. Now, this argument is silly. Well, like, it's silly only because Sheila is 100% not a feminist. She's very explicit about this. But she's going to take a stab at uh, ostensibly a feminist argument. Now, I think this argument is most often used by people that we would call TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Uh, but this is the argument that's going to be used but, like, because Sheila's not a feminist, she, she stumbles a lot to try to get through it. But she's going to try, try this argument. We are teaching young people that women are this cartoonish costume. Um, and it, it's really odd because it comes from the same side of the argument who's so, like, body positivity. Like, that's also their side of the debate and that nobody can define what a woman is. But then you ha also have on the same side, this cartoonish stereotypical female costume mm -hmm. that we are teaching little kids. That's actually a woman. I think that's a really interesting point. No, exactly. And like, why is it okay for a man to dress that way? She doesn't follow up on that, by the way. I just, I had to leave that in because she just puts it out there. Why is it okay for men to dress this way? What does Sheila think a drag queen is? I don't know. Yeah. Even if you were to uh, assume, so it, like there is true that there is some sort of like uh, uh, a dress, like drag queens are dressing in like a stereotypical fashion. Or often the mm. hype, like uh heightened and exaggerated form uh, of that stereotype, right? But yeah. then it's like, I like, it's almost, because she mentions the fact of, like, the the left are also, like, be happy with who you are and body positivity. And it's like, how are these two things contradictory? Because it's like, yes, body positivity and people can dress and wear whatever they want. These th <laughs> She says them as if they're, like, in conflict but they're not. And also it's like, I think that like, yes, you can look at a drag and understand that they're playing with stereotypes without thinking that that is what a woman is or how women should dress. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Did it's Sheila not... never let her kids play dress up? Like that's... That's confusion. You know? <laughs> yeah, true. I don't want to confuse those kids with gendered clothes. I, I only, Sheila only dresses her children in beige cloth sacks. <laughs> Pants are too gendered. Pants are too mm. gendered. Shirts are too gendered. I think cloth sacks are too confusing, though. Because, like, you know, that's a thing that holds something, and then it becomes something you wear. Like, that's... That's complicated. That's confusing. Think about it. Potatoes, you're on a farm, not that confusing. They go into a sack. Sack is not that confusing. Done. Put it on your body. Hide. See, but that's that's where you lose me. <laughs> you're the potato now. You're... Listen. No. 
As the feminists would human, say, body positivity. Accept the potato that you are. Get in the bag. <laughs> Get in the bag, liberal. <laughs> no, it's all stupid. And, and like... It's stupid to the nth degree because we get to the end and Sheila wants to like wrap it back around, you know? We got, <laughs> what was it again? Uh, this is going to hurt the taxpayer. Uh, <laughs> and so here's, here's her final goodbye to this segment with how much this is going to hurt the taxpayer. Remember this every time you're driving down your road and there's a huge pothole that the city hasn't fixed and it's so deep that it knocks the hubcap off your car and your earrings out of your ear. Remember that they decided to spend $70,000 to pay drag performers to read to little children in the public library. And when they say, oh, we don't have any extra money to build a skate park so that kids play outside, remember where the city opted to spend your money. How Bad are Calgary's roads? Holy shit. I, I don't even know if the 70,000 figure is like accurate or what that represents, but I'm just like, they could be paying it 200,000, 300. I really don't care. Like a city like Calgary's budget, 70,000 is nothing. Yeah, but what I mean is like she talked about a pothole so bad that your earrings <laughs> fall out of your ear. <laughs> It's like those like skateboard videos where the person falls and their shoes pop off. Poof. That's like the impact of the car in the pothole just blows your earrings off your face. I think that's a sinkhole at that point. Like I think that's a speeding problem. You need to slow down. <laughs> Lessen the impact of the hole by not driving so fast. Yeah, like I'm surprised your airbags don't go off. Well, I mean, airbags are regulation and they're the devil. Sheila probably goes out of her way to remove the airbags out of her car. Just to get that True. added thrill. <laughs> the thrill of a pothole blowing earrings out of your head. I, I, these people are so pathetic. This yeah. is your, I, I just, I do love, I do appreciate that this is the thing that bugs her. It's... <laughs> The other stuff, like, yeah, bugs her too. But clearly she hasn't worked through those arguments. For Sheila, the issue is the taxpayers. Should have the drag queens build the skate parks. There you go. <laughs> Fill those potholes. So now we get to August 23rd. And David Menzies is uh, co-hosting this episode. Or not co-hosting, I guess he's the guest host. And... We had covered this when it happened, but like near the sort of like midpoint of 2020, he was found or he was charged with uh, violating COVID rules while in Peterborough by covering an event that was put together by Maxime Bernier and Randy Hillier at the time. And in covering that event, David was not wearing a mask and he was hugging Randy Hillier and he was shaking hands with Maxime Bernier. And the police charged him with violating the COVID distancing rules. The, I guess, hearing for that happened in the last few days. And David Menzies was found guilty of violating the COVID uh, restrictions. So he spends most of the day on the 23rd c complaining about that. And his biggest complaint is just he's like, other journalists were there. And like the police weren't following and watching them. And it's like, because... They weren't violating the rules, David. Pretty, pretty obvious. Yeah. 
but he was found guilty. Uh, Ezra does say that they're going to like likely appeal it. I don't think they're going to appeal it because I don't think they would be able to win <laughs> for one. But like, depends on how much they want to promote it as some sort of cause. But then we get to the interview segment, and David Menzies is talking to Avi Yamini, their Australian correspondent that we have talked about before on this show. And Avi was trying to go to New Zealand to cover an anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown protest in New Zealand. Now, he was denied entry, and it's not common for Australians to be denied entry into New Zealand, that was part of his complaint, Avi's complaint on the show. But I'm curious, Vienno, given what we know about Avi Yamini, why, what is your guess as to why Avi Yamini was denied entry into New Zealand from Australia? Is it the domestic abuse? Um, is it the, um, the just like general shittiness? They didn't like his vibe. Um, is it the anti-COVID stuff? Because New Zealand's pretty cool about that. Um, is it the racism? Is it the Islamophobia? Is it... On, the, on that last point, this this isn't... Or at least this wasn't mentioned, and it wasn't mentioned in any of the reporting. I would have thought that I would have denied him from the country because of the Christchurch mosque shooting where the perpetrator of that shooting came from Australia to New Zealand and was someone who donated, according to the commission put together by uh, New Zealand, was found to have donated 160 Australian dollars to Rebel News. Mm -hmm. Should tell you something. So I would have thought maybe that played a role in something, but this, this is what, uh, or at least what Avi... Uh, <laughs> Or I should say, okay, Avi ends up telling, he spends most of the interview with David telling him this long story about him talking to the immigration authorities about entering Australia. And then he ends by, uh, he well, he talks about this like uh, New Zealand Herald article that was written, which uh, purportedly told the government uh, to not let him in. Even though when you read the article, it's just a list of all, a lot of the shitty things that you just said Avi did. That's all that's in the New Zealand Herald article. And nowhere in the article that I could read did it say, please, government, don't let him in. Uh, <laughs> but Avi is trying to use that as the excuse. So in the clip that I'm about to play, Avi is talking. The start of the clip is Avi talking as if he's like playing the role of the immigration official talking to him. Uh, and they go back. He goes back and forth like he's 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 playing a, uh, a role playing game with himself in a way. And this is why he thinks he was denied from New Zealand. Oh, Mr. Yemini, I've just read an article online about you. I'm assuming it was um, that article that had just come out from the New Zealand Herald a couple of days ago, encouraging the government to ban me. Um, and they said, I deem you of uh, not good character and therefore exercising uh, my power under the Immigration Act, 90, uh, 97, Section 97 of the Immigration Act of 2009, um, in banning you, refusing you entry today to New Zealand. Um, she was citing that I have a conviction now, um, which is true. I'm not hiding that I have a conviction. The, the, the thing is that uh, 
to be able to to be able to exercise that power for a conviction to stop you from entering uh, as an Australian to New Zealand. There's a certain threshold, and that threshold was what we received advice on because that was obviously one of the things that the media was trying to use to encourage the government to ban us. Just an excuse to stop us. You know, it was it, it was completely politically motivated. And um, the threshold is that you've got to have been in jail for at least 12 months um, in the last 10 years for that conviction. Well, mine were minor conviction. It, it, it carried a fine. It was the most basic, you know, entry-level conviction you can get. So I, I had it drawn out there a bit there because I did want to get to him saying that it was a minor conviction and, say, and him laughing about it. Like, oh, it was the most... It was the most like casual thing you can get. Uh, it's worth reminding that uh, you were right, Vienno. It is domestic abuse. He was charged after he threw a cutting board and hit his wife in the head with it. Uh, so, you know, what a nice guy. So, the, in the news, and according to the immigration authorities, that's what they cite for denying him entry into the country. Now... He is, this is the thing, I'm not a legal expert with New Zealand immigration law <laughs> or, or what their visa policies are. I've read the document that he was like citing there. The, the best that I can understand is that technically the immigration authorities can just deny you for whatever reason, so long as you're not a New Zealand citizen. Uh, yeah. It's just like they absolutely legally can't let you in if you're like a criminal in another country currently or something like this. Uh, so all of those things apply with what he said, but like the additional thing is they could just ban you anyways. And my guess is it largely has with a lot of the, the reason that you're coming for a protest and the reason that you had this conviction and it could be enough that they're like, we don't want you in our country. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a power that like a lot of immigration officials have in many places. And, you know, it is arbitrary and often kind of shitty, but it's nice when it works out, you know? Yeah. It's nice It's nice when bad people can't do things that they want to do. I think it's funny, too, because he admits, like, I've been open about my conviction, and having <laughs> listened to Rebel for as long as I have, this is the first time that they've brought the conviction up, and even here, referring it to it as minor, and also not telling the audience what you did is not mm -hmm. being open about this conviction and laughing about it. He fucking laughed about it. And I say yeah. all the time that he is a convicted wife beater and I mean it. And here is a clip where he's open about it. So at least quasi open about it. So yeah, fuck Avi and fuck Ezra for hiring the guy after he did this. So, the rest of the episode's not important. I don't care that he couldn't go to his fucking protest. They say some shitty things about Jacinda Arden and, like, all that shit. So, um, you know, fun. But uh, speaking of young women leaders, uh, we then get to the Wednesday episode, okay? And now Ezra is back. He's on for the 24th. And he does say at one point in this episode that he's gone due to elective surgery. Now, he doesn't say what surgery he's doing. It's elective, so, like, it, it could be, like, a hernia. It could be a mole removal. Like, I, what? I don't know what he's, he's doing, but 
Uh, he's going to show up and he's just going to have like massive uh, chest implants. <laughs> I wish. We're in the Ezra Titty era. <laughs> Dear Lord. The thing that I don't get is because he, he was there for the Wednesday. So I'm like, did he pre-record this, but he was gone all week? Or like he was gone, came in for the record and then went to do the surgery? I don't know. Either way, this is what he says he was gone for. But then we get, uh, I guess what I will, I'll do, I'll play the intro segment to this episode, because it basically lays down all of his arguments for what's happening uh, that he wants to talk about. I guess I haven't like fully specified, but anyone who is on social media probably knows about what we're going to talk about. But this is how he opens the show on the 24th. Hello, my friends. Bit of a different show today. I'm talking about one of the most beautiful prime ministers in the world. Now, you might be saying that's like, the tallest short guy, beautiful prime ministers, are there even any who meet that description? Well, I mean, the standards are lower. It's not like saying the most beautiful woman in Hollywood. The most beautiful prime minister in the world, I think, is Santa Marin of Finland. She's not just beautiful, she's a party girl. Out dancing in clubs and drinking and men, and which is sort of funny for a 36-year-old mother but my question is more, is that the right thing for a prime minister to do? Prime minister who's raising the stakes in a possible escalation against Russia. So that's pretty much the whole argument for the entire show. Nothing really gets expanded upon there. It's that she is a, and like, it's very patronizing how much he goes on about how beautiful she is. Not just in the intro, yeah. but in the rest of the episode. Where it's like, does it matter? Why does that matter? But like, of course, like that he focuses on it, like the whole fucking show yeah no and like it's very obviously like like that was so weird like grossly like gendered in terms of like oh yeah there's less options for who could be the most beautiful prime minister in the world and like they have to be women type of thing where it's like there's some hot politicians out there you know um but anyways regardless of all that um that is my cat girl prime minister right there (laughs) um and unfortunately the cat girl photos were faked uh which i was very sad to find out about um but yeah she's fucking 36 and prime minister of like a small rich country like what do you expect her to do have did you see the videos wasn't she just like dancing yeah yeah you know like I'm 36. I dance. <laughs> the like it's so funny how like the culture of political scandal in Finland is so minor that like there are earnest calls for her to resign over this where like Ezra if calls this were on her southern to Yeah, like if this were southern Europe, you know, like if a if a major politician was caught doing coke at a party (laughs) that would be a tuesday you know like she didn't even do drugs she didn't even drink i don't uh, is what she claimed at least like she wasn't even having that much fun she i know she was like literally looked like she was happy dancing and in that yeah like he even said in the intro then men like, it was this weird, like, he added, like, men were present. How dare a woman, a 36-year-old mother, 
be in the presence of men while dancing. Like, what a, like, after he just fucking goes on and on and, like, sexualizes her, and then, like, they can't even dance in public. But I'm like, 36-year-old women can dance in public, and they can be drunk while doing it. That's their fucking right. Who gives a shit? And then it's like... Fight for our right <laughs> to party. I love the other element of this. Like, because she's a drinker party person, she also caused an escalation with Russia by joining NATO. She she was too drunk and fixated on having a good time that she just, like, signed the NATO document uh, without thinking about it and is now, like, threatened Russia by signing that document. I I have such mixed feelings on the NATO thing. I'm I'm not even having an assessment about whether yeah. NATO them agreeing to join NATO was the correct or uh, wrong thing. It's more of like one I hate the framing cuz his framing is always them doing or signing on to becoming a part of NATO is an escalation against Russia when it's like no, Russia did the escalation. They're responding to an ex- escalation. Uh, and, and so it's like that framing is like, like you, can ag- you can agree or disagree whether it was a good response to Russia's escalation. But that's a different quest- like question. But then the other part of it is like, weren't, weren't we say like before uh, we did this episode, we were talking beforehand, you were saying that like she might not even be that involved with foreign policy? Like, no. So it's <laughs> so he because like Finland has a president and a prime minister that yeah. have sort of like different roles. Now she might still be quasi the figurehead of the country in that like I I doubt anyone really knows who the president is. No, he's pretty like major. He's like a well known politician. No, I mean like us. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, if you're in Finland. You obviously probably know who your president is. Well, I wouldn't say I like there's Would probably a lot so. of apolitical people. Yeah, yeah. But my point is you probably know. But like outside in the world, like most of us probably just know her rather than him. But even then, it's like it's a it's a complete misunderstanding of the political situation in Finland, too. But like also it's like even if she was in control, it's like like what does Ezra think? Like when the cameras are off, that like politicians are just like constantly working like they spend no time with their kids they spend no time masturbating or whatever they do in their spare time like they're just only doing political stuff for the entirety of their their office you got you got to be on the ready you you can't sleep as president or prime minister because your hands always got to be near the nuclear phone ready to go at any minute so President Ninisto is um, the so he leads the uh, nation uh, Finland's foreign politics in conjunction with uh, the government. So, um, Sanna Marin's like coalition and her as like prime minister, but he is still commander in chief of the Finnish defense forces, and. Uh, also important to remember, in the context of Finland, Finland has the largest uh, standing, I actually don't know if it's standing, it's the largest reserve army in Europe. It's not like they are a vulnerable state in many regards, 
because they have you know for a country of like six million or whatever they have like a million people in reserve that are trained and like able to be called up to fight immediately like and again she's not like in charge of that like the other funny thing is he thinks that because of these dancing videos it means that like putin might get compromised on her or blackmail her in some capacity and all while saying this i'm like you praise donald trump you're in his entire presidency who single-handedly played more golf than any other president so like he wasn't maybe partying and trump doesn't drink but it's not like when he's golfing, he's doing policy, you know? And then on top of that, if you want to talk about anyone who likely has compromised with the Russian government, there was an entire investigation on Donald Trump for all the various shit that he did. Regardless if any of it's true. I might be more inclined to think that it is true with Trump. Other people are like, oh, Russiagate, it's all a blah, 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 you know? But like at the end of the day, He's still endlessly more compromisable than I think the dancing young leader of Finland. And I say young only in relative to other people because I feel old as fuck and she's the same age as me. (laughs) If you want something to critique her for, critique the Social Democratic Party of Finland, of which she is the leader, for having unfortunately quite right-wing views on immigration. Um... Yeah. That's the valid critique, but... (sighs) Let them party. I don't... This is so stupid, but yeah. Let them party. Yeah. Yeah. Let them party. And, like, here's the thing is, this is the one show that Ezra comes back to do for this story. Why? Why? Because it's important. He needs the opportunity to be racist or not racist uh misogynistic there we go he's racist towards Finns. <laughs> um go on wikipedia like i just did and go on the page president of finland you know it's research. so easy to do basic research he doesn't do that why would you do i know that? but it's also just like if anybody in like the english-speaking world had also done Vieto, that Vieto, hot lady dance what do you <laughs> you don't need to do research hot lady dancing it's right there. That's all True. I need. I'm sorry. Yeah. So then we get to the interview segment, <laughs> which Ezra talks to a democracy fund lawyer. Remember the democracy fund is rebels in house nonprofit. Uh, the lawyer is writing a sternly worded letter to Western university condemning their booster mandate for students. And that's what they talk about. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hate Western University as someone who's had nothing but traumatic experiences at that institution. Uh, and also, uh, yeah, they generally suck. Western University is a shitty institution. <laughs> and yet, I think the booster mandate is okay. It is okay. So I, I, it doesn't even give me the opportunity to call out Western University shittiness, except in in response to the one thing they're doing right now, which isn't terrible in my opinion. I, 
yeah, like, I don't really give a shit about this aspect. I wish that they had kept mixed or online learning. That's my, like, only real opinion on Western currently, because I don't want to go physically back there. I should say, so there was a protest uh, this past weekend protesting the mass stuff. Very silly that it was on a weekend, uh, considering that usually you want to hold a protest when you're going to get, like, people at the university to see it in some capacity. <laughs> it's summer still. Nobody's there. Well, it's summer and it's a weekend, but the kids are starting to come back for Frosh Week and stuff like this. So, uh, either way, when a, somebody circulated vid, a video, I think it was Kian Bextie. I don't know if Kian was there, but Kian Bextie's social media was sharing some of the videos. So he could have been the one who took them. And there was maybe like 200 people there protesting th these, uh, I guess, mandates offered by the university. And the best part is they kept framing it in terms of this is a student uprising. This is the students like fighting the institution. And almost everyone in the videos looked like they were 60. Yeah. You could be 60 and a student. It's just my guess is <laughs> that these were just your typical anti-lockdown people protesting this with a handful of students rather than a sincere pushback from the student body against this policy. But anyways, on Thursday, Menzies wants to talk about Patrick Brown again. Wow. <laughs> Just pretty much the only thing David Menzies wants to talk about nowadays. And this one is uh, great because like the previous episode David Menzies was uh, hosting, he talked about the fact that in Peterborough, he was found guilty. In this episode, he wants to talk about how an integrity officer found his piece on uh, Patrick Brown regarding whether he violated city rules with having people who were working with the city also be a part of his conservative leadership candidacy uh, team. Menzies tried to highlight that this went against some of the like rules about city council. And so they got an integrity commissioner who found that actually they weren't in violation because most of the people were working for Patrick Bounds' team on their time off or took leaves or vacation, and they're allowed to do that. Uh, and the integrity officer basically called out David Menzies for his shoddy reporting, <laughs> saying all he had to do was look to see whether these people had time off instead of wasting their goddamn time. So... <laughs> Now, my favorite part about all of this is David Menzies responds that he thinks that Patrick Brown retroactively manipulated data online to make it seem like the people had time off, but really it was to cover up the fact that they didn't, and the integrity officer is a stooge who knows that Patrick Brown is doing this and let him off. The integrity commissioner is actually Patrick Brown wearing a fake beard. <laughs> and here's the thing. Fuck Patrick Brown. It's just like, <laughs> who cares about this? David Menzies just really hates Patrick Brown. And it's like, cool. Have Patrick fun. Brown is our Mitt Romney. He's our Jeb. He's our Jeb. Yeah, he's... How, no, no, he's a little cool. That's a lie. Blanchet yeah. is our Jeb. <laughs> Charest is our Jeb? Blanchet. Blanchet. No, I was going to say Charest Jeb. In terms of the energy. 
Blanchet's got way more energy than Jeb. Bloc populaire. I mean, he fits that what is meme, it? but Bloc majoritaire. <laughs> so then David Menzies interviews Mark Moreno, and I there's it's just great red reset bullshit and nothing. I, I really don't care to talk about it. So then we get to the Friday, okay? Plowing through this week. And David Menzies opens up by talking about how Jean Charest is a is really a liberal. Ooh, wow. Great. Oh, the former leader yeah. of <laughs> the Liberal Party, the of, liberal Quebec, party yeah. of Quebec is a liberal, <laughs> you say. So I really don't care. But this gets to the most important part of this show, Vienna. We need to talk about Gary. Kasparov. Gary Gary has been doing some stuff, all right? So, you know, our your local Canadian, uh, Gary Duke, is being uh, persecuted by Scotiabank. Okay? Poor Gary Duke had a bank account at Scotiabank, but now Scotiabank has said enough and is is no longer allowing Gary to use their services. So this is the most important thing we've ever talked about on this show. Gary is a human being. I'm sure he has wants and needs like everyone else, but we have denied him through our complacency with Scotiabank to deny him the ability to use their bank. And we need to talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about it. I guess we will talk about it by listening to David Menzies discuss why Scotiabank refused Gary from using their services. What, pray tell, did you do that made your local Scotiabank determine that they no longer want to do business with you any longer? Well, I uh, just tried to get online with uh, an app uh, to do some banking online. And uh, basically, it, uh, there is a rainbow app. So I said, is there any way to get this rainbow app off my phone? Um, and he responded in a quite, quite a shocking way that kind of surprised me. And when you say he, are we speaking now? Uh, we talked off air. You had dealings with uh, Mitchell Toft. He's the uh, assistant manager at the branch. Right. Yeah. So it was through an email discussion that I asked him, like, if there's any way to get the app off. And and he, yeah, he responded. He did not respond for a couple of days. And then when he did, he basically hunted me from, from uh, my bank. Mitchell. Why would you do this to Gary, our boy? He just did like rainbows. <laughs> Gary just didn't want an app on his phone. <laughs> now we can't bank. Oh my god. So David Menzies is going to read the letter for the letter from Mitchell that was sent to Gary. And this is great. I like uh, you know, not a fan of managers, not a fan of banks, I'm being honest. But uh you know, if Gary was complaining to me about a rainbow app on his phone, 
I only feel I could come at it with the same energy as Mitchell. So <laughs> David Menzies is going to read uh, Mitchell's letter here. I don't know whatever happened to can we agree to disagree, but you sent along the um, text that uh, Mr. Toff sent to you. I'm going to read it verbatim. Uh, okay. Gary, Scotiabank strives to provide an inclusive environment for all members of the LGBTQ plus community. And during Pride Month, like every other financial institution, we have chosen to show our support in a variety of ways, including visual signs such as rainbows on our app. Your request slash complaint will not be entertained as it does not align with our principles. Your comments are not appreciated, nor will they be tolerated, which is why we have chosen to terminate our relationship with you. You may gather the funds from your account and a termination notice will be mailed to you advising the date you have until to retrieve any funds. Any funds in the account upon the date of closure will be put into a bank draft and mailed to the address we have on file. Well, holy smokes, uh, Gary. I mean, it, it, right away he went to the nuclear option just because you complained about a rainbow illustration uh, on the app. Fuck yeah. <laughs> it's so raw. And like, we never hear Gary's, like, what did Gary's initial complaint have in it? You know, we, we don't get that part of it. But then, like, I love how at the end there, Menzies, like, whoa, like, I can't believe they're overreacting. And I'm like, Gary went out of his way to complain about a rainbow on his fucking phone. <laughs> and like, you know, is this an overreaction or is it like, there's something wrong with Gary to be the type of person to complain about that, that we don't want to associate with Gary at all. <laughs> Close his accounts and you get the fuck out of here. Anti-Gary action. Not our boy Gary. Here's, so, <laughs> God fucking Gary. We, Gary must be re-educated. We'll build a new <laughs> Gary. A better Gary. Gary is so fucking Canadian too. He has that like prototypical Canadian accent. But I, I love, so, Ezra then asks, Gary, like, why? Why would he do this? And Gary's response is just so weird and beautiful. <laughs> okay, so here's here's Gary answering, why? Why would why would he do this? Why would Mitchell do this to me? Why do you think he responded this way? Well, I think it's the culture in general that we have right now. Um, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. He might have thought I was a troll and, t and possibly testing him in the, in the, to, to kind of keep up the standard that they're trying to promote nowadays out there and the woke kind of wokeism. Hey. So that, that could be uh, that he was concerned that if he didn't uh, say the right thing, that he would be uh, rep you know, he would be attacked from his end. So um, I I understand that, and that's the fear a lot of us have for not even wanting to speak out nowadays is is that whole thing, right? So Scotiabank the whole time was over Mitchell with a gun and was like, 
you need to respond aggressively to prove to us that you like rainbows or else we will kill you. <laughs> and that's why Mitchell wrote the letter the way that he did. Not because it's what Mitchell actually believes, but he was told to do it or felt pressured to do it. It's a lineup of people, you know, one person has a gun to everybody's back all the way down the line from the Scotiabank head saying, you know, if you, if you change the, the line, the bank line, if you say anything against the rainbow, who's, we're going to get you. Who's the first gun? Justin Trudeau. I was going to say Little Nas X, but... <laughs> no, don't... <laughs> he's making don't everyone gay. No, it's like pro. He's, he's taking over the... He's making the world gay at gunpoint. He is not in the pocket of Big Bank. No, he's got the gun to Big Bank. Mm, nope. I think that's too, still too insulting of an association <laughs> for him. He's better than that. All right. If that if that's what you really think, we, it is. We should I'm ask. I'm gonna cancel your bank account because you don't think so. We should ask Gary what he thinks of Little Nas X. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure zero slurs would would be heard. You know. <laughs> I just you know what a serious news program. Well, let's let's talk to Gary. Who got his account suspended with a national bank because he's a homophobe? Let's let's just have him call in and uh, shoot the shit with David Menzies. What a, what a great news program! I'm so glad people donate money to this shit. Yeah. If if only if only people were this concerned with the Garys in our lives, you know. My dad's Gary. That's <laughs> who's totally not like this, but. <laughs> This is what the makes good Gary. Yes, my dad is a good Gary. True. Uh, Gary, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm conflicted about the Garys now. I was gonna say Gary Solidarity, but clearly one of them doesn't like rainbows on their app. So screw that, Gary. Solid Garity. So Solidarity. <laughs> yeah. Solid. <laughs> oh. I couldn't think of a better one. You know what? I the only way for Gary's to improve is if they all go on strike now. It's the only way. Solidarity. Solidarity forever. Since we were talking about banks being uh, shitty um, and, you know, canceling people's accounts and whatever, um, that has been an ongoing thing with um, Muslim charities in Canada of late. Um, there have been multiple mosques and um, like international relief efforts and everything like that, where the bank will just suddenly be like, hey, you got to close your account with us. Good luck. Uh, and then the payment processor will be like, hey, we're not going to process any donations to you anymore. 
good luck. Um, that was also largely of, because. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say that was also one of the parts of the NCCM's recommendations to Trudeau after what happened in London was to uh, stop banks from doing this. Yeah. Um, and it's been ongoing for a number of years now, largely because the um, CRA keeps. Or the justification for it is largely the CRA keeps doing shitty things as well um, and like revoking their charity status or, you know, labeling them as somehow like untrustworthy or unreliable. Um, and it's a horrific and shitty and actual problem, unlike uh, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> we can't fix um, Gary, but. <laughs> yeah. We can't fix Gary, but um, we can at least yell at the government or the banks or whatever. Um, but yeah, so article I got is just like a little uh, thing written by um, one of the uh, journalists for uh, NCCM, that's the National Council of Canadian Muslims, uh, about uh, this debanking phenomenon. Um yeah, so read that and get mad because Canada sucks and is a shitty Islamophobic country. True. Yeah, that that's what I got. That's what I got. Well, I thought. Well, you you had one article. Do you want another article, or do you want to end on? Uh... Sure, I got a Gorbachev article. Uh, Hell yeah! That guy died. Um, it's an article that's kind of just like about soviet nostalgia and the fact that like both the world and um the communist movement and um russia in particular are just kind of like haunted by the collapse and by like the fact that nothing has really come up that opposes capitalism on a global scale since um and it's kind of like a wow um everybody kind of either falls into the pat uh, the the trap of nostalgia or uh the trap of the end of history type of shit uh and it was written before gorbachev died um based on the author's just kind of like experiences um and like particularly around like one drunken conversation with like a russian woman in china <laughs> um yeah, it's just kind of like an interesting little like thing that kind of also challenges a lot of the bullshit that's been on Twitter about like, oh, wow, everything was Gorbachev's fault when it's like, no, you know, you can't have a party state that elevates this dude to the highest position. And then it's suddenly his fault that like the party state is no longer functioning. Something was broken well before that point in order for him to get to the point that he did and also for like his attempts at reforming that situation to turn out as disastrously disastrously as it ended up turning out um yeah and it's just kind of like i guess it problematizes the like legacy of gorbachev in the sense of like you know both the like kind of standard liberal and the standard like apologist for the soviet hardliners um in like 
Marxist Leninist Leninisty like that kind of sphere of leftism. Um, it's a nice little article. It's pretty short. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Sweet. And if you Mr. Gorbachev, <laughs> tear down those pants. Ow! Ow! And if. <laughs> How do I continue from that? If you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a Discord set up. I'll be starting Twitch streams again, uh, I think, probably the second week of September when the kids are back in school. Uh, I might be doing YouTube videos as well. So uh, now that I will not have to parent during the day and they will be out of my way, I uh, love my kids, but more free time means I can dedicate more time to doing that stuff. So uh, I might be able to do some of that. But all the links to that stuff you can find in the show notes of the episode. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. And Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that Gary? What? Tear it down. Get rid of all the Garys. <laughs> Personally, you Gorbachev. You had, you had a good one. Why are you going with this instead? Because I don't. I had a joke prepared gonna... for your original one. Should I edit? Should we? Should I just do that? No, no, no. Keep this all in. No, I. Why? <laughs> as a, as a gift for everybody who listened this far. Uh. Mr. Garbachev, tear down this podcast. <laughs> Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.